Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Elmore. My guest today is John Steele. John is a licensed marriage and family therapist who has focused his private practice on treating high-performance clients, including athletes and professionals. With personal experience as a former collegiate athlete, John combines the complexities of the athlete experience with the performance of professional life. His specialties include treating anxiety, trauma, grief, addiction, and building mental fitness. Whether working with athletes or high-achieving professionals, he helps his clients combat shame, build healthy coping strategies, and increase self-compassion amidst high-pressure environments. Today, we brought John on to talk about working with athletes and high-performance clients. So welcome, John. We're happy to have you. Yeah, it's awesome to be here. Glad to be here. Yes. And I feel like I must tell our listeners that we actually know each other. So John and I grew up in the same hometown and it just so happens that one of my best friends is your sister-in-law. And we were able, speaking of athletic events, we were able to watch the Super Bowl with the same group recently. So that was very fun. We did. Yeah, that was a blast. That was a blast. Had a lot of fun there. So Yeah. I was wondering, but thought I would save it for the podcast if you have a different outlook watching the Super Bowl knowing that this is your specialty of treatment? Like, do you feel like you want to coach your favorite players from behind the TV or do you just sort of turn it off and watch it like everybody else? Uh, (laughs) I try and enjoy it like a fan. I think that's one of the things that I do love about sports. I do feel like I'm such a sports enthusiast from just following favorite teams. I kind of grew up in the LA area, so I'm like a big LA area fan. So if I can, I try my best to turn it off. But all right, uh, that's good. I guess that's good. You need that. Yeah, yeah. There's moments. There's moments where I I might pique my interest a little bit. So, <laughs> well, if you want to share any of those on today's podcast about the Super Bowl, I'm sure that would be interesting. But let's start with just generally, you know, how you got into working with athletes. Maybe you want to share a little bit about the sports that you used to play and and how you ended up where you are. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So part of my journey, I mean, even since I was little, like T-ball, like four years old, uh, was just uh, playing sports. And so throughout, it was such a like formational part of life for me and absolutely loved it. So that was one thing. I think what's been really cool to see is just what I enjoyed throughout life and going through sports is now kind of coming together in like a career way. So that's pretty neat. It feels like such a cool spot to be in and and seeing that develop. So for me, I mean, I grew up playing, probably one of my bigger sports was baseball. Um, Mm -hmm. I was like four years old, T-ball. And then I played that all the way through college. I got a chance to play collegiate sports there and absolutely loved it. But I also played a ton of other sports as well. I mean, we're talking soccer, basketball, football, just about anything with the ball. <laughs> I, would, I would jump in and play it. So I have just an absolute blast with that. I still follow that. But just as far as my collegiate career, that went towards baseball. I got a chance to pitch and had just an amazing time with that. Also went through some hardships, which I can you know share as well. I think that's a part of my story going through what I went through really led me as I moved into being a marriage and family therapist and, you know, then recognizing, okay, these are kind of clients I click with a little bit. You know, Mm -hmm. I enjoy working with them. I can see things through my own perspective, my own lens. 
And then it started to turn into kind of that high performing piece I kept kind of recognizing. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's kind of what led me into, you know, being where I'm at now, where I'm really looking to, you know, continue to focus in on that, working with athletes, working with professionals, people who are in those high pressured environments and exploring more and more, which we'll probably talk about too, is mental fitness. This idea of mental fitness is mm. something that's really sticking out to me lately. So. Yeah, that's an interesting term. I definitely want to make sure we we get to that. It sounds like you took your all of your life experiences and they sort of meshed well together. And you noticed you worked well with people who were athletes or had similar mindset maybe to what you were used to. And it's funny, I used to think of athletes and then high achieving professionals as kind of like separate categories. Like initially my mind goes to like CEOs or politicians or, you know, whatever, but it's actually the same process, the more I think about it, you know, the, the determination, the grit, you know, you sacrifice a lot for your career as well as, as athletics and it can be all consuming. And a lot of those people are driven by achievement and praise and success. And so it, yeah, it makes sense that those would mesh together. And now you find yourself in a practice helping seemingly different categories of people, but mm -hmm. it seems like the mindset is very similar. So maybe that goes into your mental fitness conversation. Big time. Yeah. No, it's one of those that I felt like I kind of stumbled into as you're saying it, right? Like, because at first you look at it and you say, I don't know how those quite could mesh, but then, you know, could see some of those similarities, you know, and one of those is just those pressured environments, yes. you know, and like so much of what you mentioned too, the performance piece, right? It's something that I struggle with today, you know, is like still this idea of what I do determines who I am. And really being able to try and separate that. And, you know, as we get into it, you know, I think so much of that, that spot really has to do with this dialogue, this internal dialogue that you walk through. What I've kind of discovered is just these like critics, you know, in life that there's these internal critics and what it means to really kind of rework that dialogue, whether it's athletics, right? Like an athletes. And sometimes I think, you know, that one's maybe a little bit more apparent in some ways because probably have like a very critical coach like you mm -hmm. are instantly like criticized or given feedback whether that feedback is given sometimes harshly which can happen but it's like that instant piece right and it's like you know did I execute that pitch right and if I did then there's a result you know that happens because of it you know maybe I struck the guy out you know maybe you hit a home run right like it's it's all over the place and I think that's where sports really intensifies that result and so it's like, you know, more and more and with high performing, you know, positions as well, you see that, I mean, the pressure, you know, that that builds. So I think too, what I've recognized, it's not only just the, the results themselves, cause you still want to be successful, you know, in whatever it is you're trying to be successful in, you want that that's a driven portion of it. But I think there's like holistic parts of that as well. You know, recognizing that, you know, sometimes at the cost of so many other areas of life is that drivenness, mm. you know, relationally, right? Like physically in your own body, there's so many other components that are part of that. So I think that's a piece that I've been able to, you know, kind of gain over the years, whether it's just from the academic side of it, you know, going through school to then working with clients and recognizing, hey, like, I think there's some holistic pieces here that can help kind of branch out of this like narrow-minded, you know, focus. Pressure focus. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I don't know if you know who Darren Hardy is, but he's like a motivational 
kind of like positive psychology, I guess you could say source. Okay. And I, and I know someone who's very much fits along these categories of like, mm. you know, very driven and used to be a professional athlete. And so they were telling me about this. He has like a wheel of balance. So mm. yes, you focus on success. That's a great thing to want and financial stability. That's a great thing to want. But then the wheel is made up of all these other categories too, like your spirituality, your spiritual health and your relational health and your, your nutrition and, you know, all the things that make a person a person and trying to keep them in balance, which I imagine you'd have to be intentional about that as someone who's more of an athlete or high performance individual, because you can so easily focus on the performance part or like the work part, essentially. So that's kind of what comes to mind. Unfortunately, also Tom Brady comes to mind. Do you feel like his wheel got out of balance? And that is why he is the goat, but also uh, worse. You know, you know, it's possible. It's possible that was a thing. But yeah, um, I mean, know. yeah, coming off of right the football season, that definitely can be something that appears that way. But yeah, I mean, it's such a it's such a thing to I think be able to find more and more of that balance you know, and, and recognize that it's great to be able to have these high achieving goals, you know, and great to be able right. to, you know, pursue those. W what I would say too, is also kind of this long-term approach. It's something that I've recognized as well, because especially as an athlete, your career's going to end, mm. you know, at, at some point, you know, and, and sometimes it comes suddenly. Sometimes, you know, you get the longevity of a career, but with that balance, then what you're doing is you're really building for longer term yeah. than you are that short term. That's true. I hadn't thought of that of that right away, but it's true. I mean, it's a short-lived time, really, when you look at it. So that, that I'm sure a lot of your work is the mindset around the adjustments when people are no longer able to perform the same way, whether it's CEO status or athlete status. Yeah. yeah no, definitely. That, that transition is a big one. For sure. Yeah. So what are some of the things you found helpful when you're working with these types of individuals about any of the number of things we've talked about? The high pressure, the transitions, criticism. What do, what do you find mm. helps? I think one of the things I'll lean into a little bit, because I, I tend to talk a lot more about this one and I've also just had to do a lot of internal work with is it just that dialogue. I think being able to, you know, really find a in some terms, I would say like kind of this holistic motivation to be able to stay driven, you know, and be able to find that balance. But in that is really that dialogue, like those critics. Mm. And again, there can be very direct critics, right? Like boss, CEO, like whoever is there in that coaches, right? Like there can be very direct criticism and usually like you're your harshest critic. Like that's just a part of, I think, that drivenness and that performance piece. And so I think what I found is I've leaned on a lot lately, this idea of mindful self-compassion It's developed by two people, Kristen Neff and Chris Germer. But what they really do is, is they kind of have these pillars in regards to just a, a, a way to, to really balance life. And one of those pieces in that dialogue is self-kindness. How is it that that dialogue, you know, can be more kind? I think I put it that way as well, because sometimes we say, like, how can I be kinder to myself? I sometimes tend to try and separate that saying you are kind. Internally, you as who you are, you are kind. The critics, those are not kind. Mm. You know, like that separation, I think, is one of those first things that I recognize is kind of pulling that out a little bit and saying, hey, like, 
you know, notice that these critics put a name to them, right? Sometimes perfectionism, right, is so much a part of that criticism. Fear of failure, you know, so many of those pieces and being able to say, hey, they are the ones who are bringing those messages, not you, you know, as, I like a, that. Yeah. as a person. So, I mean, and in that, as you are like working on that separation, you know, I think one of the things that you can use as a tool is this idea of being able to recognize how you speak to a friend and then being able to switch that internally. So typically when you're speaking to a friend, you're a lot kinder. You're nice. Yeah. Yeah. You're just, you're right. Like you're just a lot kinder in some of those moments. And, and typically it's like kinder in those mistakes, Mm -hmm. kinder in those failures that are just a part of life. And yet in like perfectionism, in like performance-based stuff, you're afraid to make those mistakes. You know, you're mm -hmm. afraid to fail. There's um, a lot riding on it if you fail. Yeah. There is. There is. It's that pressure, you know, that's a part of it. And I think that's such a part of the way that, you know, you, you definitely spoke to it right there. When you feel that pressure, it's something that you can definitely get stuck with. So when turning that dialogue, this, this kind of exercise sometimes is like asking a friend, you know, and so what would you say to a friend if they gave you that same situation, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. sports wise, if, if I was, you know, trying to execute my best pitch, you know, and I didn't, you know, it just, it didn't happen. And I left it, you know, like the, the term, like a, there's like a hanging curveball, right. Or a hanging breaking ball, right. Where the, the, the ball just doesn't break, gets smashed right over the fence, Maybe that was like bottom of the ninth. You were trying to close the game and you lost the game because of it. Oosh, and so yeah. what that means is then how is it that you can turn that and speak kindly or hear that kindness amidst that circumstance? And it's what's, hard. What's something you would say in that moment to yourself if that was you? Let's give it oh, an example. Man, it, would, it would be a tough one. I will admit that right <laughs> away. That would be so hard. That would be so hard. But as an example, you know, I think what you can say is, is, you know, it's okay. Yeah. You know, like, like it's okay. You did the best you could yeah. in that moment. Yeah. The thought I had was like, you're, you're being realistic, right? Cause I, I wanted that example. Cause sometimes I think people hear this and, and even myself too, will will go to the almost fantasy version of like, oh, it's fine. Like there's, you know, it, it's totally, totally fine. But it's like, it's not fine. Like, like, that means you lost the game. It is really difficult. Yeah. So I'm hearing that in your kind example, there's truth in it because being truthful really is being kind. And so you can say like, wow, that was, that was terrible. Yeah. I feel really bad about that. And it will be okay. You know? Yeah. Big yeah. time. No, that's such an important key, you know, aspect. And, you know, if I tie it back a little bit to kind of that mindful self-compassion piece, there's this idea of recognizing your suffering yeah. because in that moment you are, you know, you're feeling hurt, you're feeling pain, you're feeling sadness, you're feeling those. And so what it means to just like you did acknowledge that pain, acknowledge that hurt and saying that that sucks, <laughs> that I, that's not the way I intended for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be okay. I know that well, I did my best. And we'll try again next time. Yeah. Try to yeah, do better next we'll, time. Yeah. And we'll keep moving. And and part of, I think, whether again, in these high performing pieces and athletics and these professionals, you know, th those kinds of arenas is also the ability to move through those, what would be kind of failures, you know, in those moments, right? Would be failures. And if you are stuck in that, 
then that's going to affect performance. That's going to affect what you're trying to do. But if you can move through it, you know, and what's a, I would consider a healthy way, healthier way, I think you're going to find you're going to be able to move through it actually quicker. You're mm-hmm. going to be able to, okay, you know, that hurt. I didn't intend, you know, for that to happen. You know, that sucks. I did the best that I could, you know, in that moment and I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And let's keep moving, you know, absolutely. let's, let's maybe learn from it, you know, and do those kinds of things. Yeah. They say, and I think it's true that the most successful people fail the most, they learn how to fail. So learning how to fail well actually means you're going to be successful because you can't, you know, reach high achievements if you don't lose sometimes and mess up. So that, I think that's a key point is learning how to regroup and keep moving. Yeah. I think the the movement piece has always been something that I've appreciated, you know, and what it means to keep moving through, you know, and just knowing that, you know, it's, it's the emotions, you know, that you're experiencing in those moments that those emotions are okay. They're, they're yeah. actually, they're needed, you know? Do and- you find that, um, there's certain like coping tendencies that high achieving people tend to lean towards because I'm sure in those moments, a lot of what you're working on too, is how to cope well. And I imagine there's probably like a certain niche of coping that they reach for. Do you find that to be true? And what would that be? Would it be like, like overeating or overworking or what what do you find people typically do as high achievers in that moment? There's a a lot, you know, I think that's where my mind goes to at first, but I think what you are, are bringing up is really key is that some of those, you know, probably more consistent ones that I run across that has to do with like the, the over piece of it. So Mm -hmm. when I think of, like you mentioned that sometimes you can kind of insert, right? Like the, you know, over maybe eating at times, like you mentioned, right. Or, or overworking, you know, sometimes, or, you know, this is where sometimes maybe like that realm of whether addiction can kick in and what it means to be going into something or doing something more than what you intend to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Almost and like a trying lot to make it, up for the failure, I would think. Yeah. Okay. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. yeah I, you know, and, and I think it does have to do with a lot of sometimes the avoidance piece You know, like if you're getting down into why that over is happening, there's avoidance. You know, sometimes the emotions, you know, that are present, they're rough emotions. Yeah. And and what it means to actually move through those emotions. I'd rather distract myself. Right. I'd rather maybe escape a little bit, you know, and and I will say too, granted, there are moments where, you know, being able to distract can be helpful. It also just doesn't completely help you move through, you know, what that experience is. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense, actually. So the intensity of the failure is going to be a lot more for someone who's in these high achieving realms than someone who's not. So there's a lot more to deal with there emotionally, or maybe the intensity is just higher. That makes sense. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Most of us spend more time at work than anywhere else doing anything else. So why not spend that time in a job you love? Introducing Triad's Jobs Marketplace, the only job site dedicated specifically to behavioral and mental health professionals. Featuring more than 1,000 open jobs from dozens of behavioral and mental health employers and searchable by location, professional field, employment type, specialization, and more. Jobs Marketplace helps you find your next career opportunity. Full-time, part-time, or gig time, make the most of your time. 
To access Jobs Marketplace, register for your free professional account at hellotriad.com slash BHT. That's hellotriad.com slash BHT. And then click to Jobs Marketplace. If you're already a member of the Triad community, visit app.hellotriad.com slash jobs. That's app.hellotriad.com slash jobs. Visit us today and take your next career step tomorrow. What else do you find unique to treating this particular population or helping assuage some of the pressure? (laughs) What else have you found useful as far as techniques and strategies? Yeah. What we were talking about working with the dialogue and kind of being able to rework that. I think some of the things that come to mind, you know, there is kind of that holistic piece and being able to introduce some of that balance a little bit more. One of the things that I've recognized is like, there's a difference between like doing something for maintenance and responsibility or responsibilities versus doing something that gives you joy, doing something that kind of feeds your, what I would say sometimes life. I've used the words like that's life giving before to you and being able to establish a little bit more of kind of this list that you can say like, these are some of my activities that are really more on this like joy, more on this like kind of happy producing piece and just recognizing how if you kind of have that as a routine, again, outside of like the maintenance or the responsibilities, you know, that that are already so much a part of life, I think there's an opportunity for balance. Mm. Maybe another way to say that is, is it true that high achieving individuals tend to have a harder time like relaxing or giving themselves permission to do things that, that other people would have no problem being like, oh, of course I'll do that. It's the weekend, you know? Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. For sure. Okay. For sure. Right. Like self-care, right. You could throw that term out there, right. I think yeah. that's out there a little bit and what that means. But sometimes I found too, it's hard to, you know, be able to identify, you know, those self-care components. And so being able to, to establish kind of a list I can share it at one point, but I've used or kind of put together something called a life-giving inventory mm-hmm. that breaks up categories of, you know, I think you kind of mentioned them like similar to that wheel, you know, that you were uh, mentioning earlier, okay. but basically has like a biological, a psychological, a social, and a spiritual sections to it. And what it means to be kind of tracking those at times, being able to put together that list. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I remember, um, I mean, I'm no professional athlete by any means, but I, you know, as a, as a higher educated person, I could say there's probably some high achieving in there. Otherwise I'd be crazy to do as much school as I did, but I do remember learning, like there's different ways to rest. And that totally blew my mind. Right. Like we always think of rest as, I don't know, laying around watching TV, but that's mental rest. And sometimes you need physical rest, which is sleep. And sometimes you need spiritual rest, which is like connecting, to whatever it is that you find restorative, whether that's nature or church or, you know, and so over the years I've started learning how to ask like, okay, I'm I'm feeling drained, but like how and why, and what do I really need? Right. And so that's what comes to mind when you're talking about that. And it makes sense that high achieving athletes or, you know, driven individuals, sometimes you, you have to sacrifice so much just to get where you're going. So it's almost like a muscle to learn to give yourself what you need. And these other categories makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Defining that rest, I think is huge. Yeah. That's such a cool thing to, right. To be able to just kind of open up, you know, and be like, oh, that is different. Like, 
you know, my, my body is needing, you know, something different than maybe like you're saying, like, you know, what I, you know, meditation, right. Meditation is a great piece. And that kind of mm -hmm. focuses more on that mental and emotional, you know, when you're looking at meditation versus, you know, maybe something like soaking in a, uh, a walk on the beach. Yeah, you know, and what or that maybe, means, uh, right? Or going going out and meeting up with friends because that's yeah. social, you know, social rest too. So, exactly. or like for you watching the Super Bowl and not thinking about um, yes. work. <laughs> yes, trying to be yeah. a fan, right? Yeah, and just exactly. Enjoy that. That's good. Well, I know yeah. also, I mean, I've heard you mention before, I think that there's some grief work involved with what you do. Can you explain that? Because that's not the first thing that you would normally think of, I imagine, when when somebody thinks about working with high achieving people. So can you explain that part of your work? Yeah, definitely. And maybe I'll share part of my story with that one because okay. I think that one kind of jumps up. But yeah, so for me in college, sophomore year is as a pitcher, right? I would be more towards the end of games. I would kind of close out games and do that kind of thing. But I had a pretty severe arm injury. It was during my sophomore year. Actually, one of my ligaments popped in the middle of a game and my season was done. If not, you know, didn't know at the time, but could be career. But I actually ended up going through. So if some are familiar with baseball, Tommy John surgery, is what I ended up going through, which is I have no idea what that is. <laughs> it, it's, it's, a, it's actually a pretty amazing surgery, but yeah, it actually a decent amount. It, it pops up a decent amount now. Okay. All to say is, is through that is definitely a pretty intensive recovery process. Wow. And so I think immediately for me, it didn't quite sink in until I realized that my season was done and my scholarship was cut as well. And that I had to make some pretty major, you know, life decisions at that point. And so that piece right there, if centering in on, you know, what can happen, you know, as an athlete, I would even branch that out to what can happen as, you know, a professional, you know, sometimes getting let go from a job, like these, these transitions that can happen. That's a lot of grief and loss. That's a yeah. lot of, I think what's considered is kind of that secondary loss Secondary, not meaning that it's not important, but it's just something that is there that you, you have to walk through. And right. there is a, I think, a legitimate mourning process that happens because of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Because how can it not impact every area of your life? You know, your hopes, your dreams, your future, your, your idea of where your income is going to come from, yeah. your identity, your physicality is different. It's, it's a lot. There's a lot that changes with something like that. Yeah, it's pretty, and you named it, right? It's pretty all-encompassing is I think is such a big piece. And and maybe sometimes with athletes in that way too. And, you know, the the identity piece, let alone the physical recovery that happens. And I think the identity piece is one of the huge pieces of that, that all of a sudden, you know, who I have identified myself as is, you know, one, an athlete, and as it narrowed into, then it was like a baseball player. Then it was a collegiate pitcher, you know, and that is like my identity. That is who I am. And then it's gone All of know, a sudden. for yeah. a period of time. Hopefully maybe I can recover or maybe it's gone, gone, you know, for, for that. And so the grief that's a part of that is, is real. And, you know, I think that's a part of what drove me to do what I'm doing now as well is, is because I wish I kind of would have had a little voice or someone that maybe would have said, hey, ch check this out a little bit, you know, check out the idea of maybe getting some support, not just physically, but like emotionally and mentally, you know, and, and what it means to be able to recover there too. Because there's so many things 
you know, that are happening during a time like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for being vulnerable and sharing that. And I'm sure that is really helpful with your clients too, because they can tell that you understand in some way what, what they're going through. And absolutely. I mean, of course it's going to impact all of those areas. So it makes perfect sense that you'd be doing grief work in addition to the self-compassion and the engaging in, in self-care and balance and all of that is really sort of rebuilding from the ground up in a way. Mm-hmm. Yep. Big time. Yeah. yeah. Well, what does success look like in your mind with the, with this population, or maybe even if you don't have to, but if you want to share, you know, when did you feel like, okay, this is, this is always going to be part of my story, but I feel like I can move forward and help other people with this. You know, how, how do you know when somebody has resolved all of these topics that you're working on? Ooh, that's a good, that's a good, good question. You know, I think what I do recognize is there are these moments where I'll just share these light bulbs that I think I see. You know, and and I can also speak personally as well. You know, that can happen during this process. Mm-hmm. I might say that whether it's success or this long-term approach, I think the long-term approach is like journey, like is is almost lifetime, like. So I know. I'm not sure if when I said like resolved, I was way. like, mm, I don't think yeah. it's ever going to be resolved. Yeah. Yeah, but what what markers, right? I think that's such a huge piece of this. How do you know that you've had some improvement? Right. Or how do you know that you have kind of moved through, you know, some of these difficult moments, whether it's transitions, right, you know, season ending, you know, injury to also developing what now I'd probably say is like a healthier mental fitness. But yeah, so all back to light bulbs is kind of what I think of is like I can see those light bulb moments. One of those happens with the inner dialogue. I can recognize and have seen in myself as well where I start to hear less and don't agree with the judgments as much that there is this change in dialogue and you recognize oh i can actually do this like i can i can live life without this harsh criticism and not only live life i can actually be i think i'm not sure if it's more motivated but just as driven Mm, just as mm -hmm. motivated to do the things that i want to do and I'm leaving behind this criticism that sends me reeling. Spiraling, yeah. Those are some light bulbs that I recognize and I've actually seen in myself as well as those moments where I'm like, oh, I, I remember that judgment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right? I'll let you move through. I'm okay. I don't need you. You know? Yeah. And I heard then- mention one time, like you were talking about it way earlier, but externalizing that voice and and knowing it's not, it doesn't have to be yours. You don't have to believe everything. Somebody once gave the idea of like na- giving it a name of somebody you've never really liked mm-hmm, <laughs> or, mm-hmm. you know, if you had oh, a bully yeah. you're growing up or something, you could name it that. And then you, you yeah. recognize like, oh, that's just so-and-so talking. It's not me. It's, you know, it, it doesn't sounds like you're saying it's not like it goes away necessarily, but you get more distant from it. It gets quieter and then you can move through it quicker. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And, you you bring up a good one in, in naming. We've gone through that exercise before and characters pop up. Voldemort is a, is oh, a, that's uh, a good one. Is a uh, popular one that uh, that can pop up at times for that like kind of criticism and, and whatnot. But it's it's a thing. I mean, and it's so cool to, you know, to see as well. And, and also kind of feel myself in my own journey. But when you do see that difference and you recognize, hey, this is, this is an important separation. You know, th- this is not, you know, this is not me. You know, this is these critics, you know, that have happened throughout life, you know, for their own, for their own reasons. But then you can kind of be like, yeah, 
no, I'm good, Voldemort. No, thanks. Yeah, yeah. You know, awesome. I'm, I'm going to go listen somewhere else. You know, I'm going I'm to go build something else here. So. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so that's one really big light bulb. What are some others that you notice as people are growing? Yeah, so I think the other one, you know, is is if it's outside of the dialogue kind of piece, I can recognize as well when balance kind of starts to hit. Mm. And sometimes it feels so small, but that when that balance starts to get integrated, you know, and you recognize that, hey, that I actually have a closer relationship with that important person in my life, you know, and that's really been something that's opened up to a, I can lean on them. You know, I can, I can do this actually, because I got some people in my corner, you know, who are there for me, you know, in a support kind of way. As speaking of that kind of piece as well, I will say I do, you know, appreciate a lot of the the work from Brene Brown as well and vulnerability and being able to lean on that. And so that would be in direct connection with some of those light bulbs. You know, I've seen clients recognize that, you know, vulnerability is such a powerful piece that, you know, it doesn't represent sometimes in society can represent kind of that weakness and, you know, kind of going from there, but how powerful it can be when you are vulnerable, you know, in those moments and it can be such a freeing, you know, experience. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so that, that kind of comes to mind as well. Some of those other light bulbs that happen. So. Yeah, that's good. What's, what's the light bulb example for grief? How, you know, that grief is getting more distant. That one is a, that's a great question. So I think what I have recognized with grief is that there is a point of acknowledgement that can happen that can really provide somebody the opportunity to walk through grief. I think what I've recognized is that grief is big. It's, it's just, it's, it's big, you know, I, I, and I think with that bigness, you know, in that way, sometimes being able to just allow or help somebody to, to find that space to say, Hey, it's okay, you know, to grieve Mm -hmm. right now, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and then I think as well, being able to move through that grief as a piece, I, I like to use the model. There's one it's called warden's four tasks of mourning. And that one just always stuck out to me. And, and I appreciated having some frameworks and pieces that knowing that grief is so big is like, okay, I've got, a, I've got some tasks, you know, that I'm working towards here. And then I feel like, yeah, in some sense, there is a little bit of that, you know, acceptance. You know, I think the first one is like acceptance of the reality, you know, of the loss you mm-hmm. know, and what that means. But I think that's one of those, again, whether it's light bulbs or not, like one of those moments where you recognize the shift has happened when somebody feels like they have that permission, you know? Yeah. And I like that you have a model to move through grief with, because, you know, you hear that phrase like time heals all wounds and it's actually not true. It's what you do with the time that -hmm. determines whether the wound's going to be healed or not. Right. We can easily just ignore and push down and push down, but you still have to deal with the grief at some point. So it's nice that you have a a way to help your clients move through. There's different ways to help people move through. But yeah, but grief is big. And I feel like, you know, all emotions we know sort of pull on the same category of emotion when you're feeling it, right? When you're happy, it's easier to remember happier memories and enjoy happier things. And the same is true when something triggers grief, it brings up all kinds of grief, not just the specific grief you're thinking about. Yeah. So as we all get older and move through life, there's more and more griefs there to, mm-hmm. to sift through. So I think that's important that you're speaking of productively using your grieving time so that you can lighten that load and move and move forward. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think what I found is grief is just complex. You know, there's yeah. there's so much of it, you know, that can impact depending on what you're walking through in that moment. You know, what I've recognized is that because there can be this disconnect from the permission to grieve is oh, what I, I think see. I recognize, I right? Okay. Like being an athlete, right? Or maybe in that, again, high-performing position or whatnot. It's like, what do you mean grieve? I don't have time to do that. Like, mm. you know, no way. And and I think what I found is that one way or another, you're gonna grieve. It's gonna it's gonna happen, you know. And and some ways, if you get the chance and and kind of can be intentional about it, I think it has the opportunity then to really, you know, be on that more maybe like healthier kind of end. You're recognizing those moments where it's like I just feel sad, right. and I am depressed. Instead of wondering, no. like, why did I just eat a bajillion Oreos or why did I work 56 hours in three days or, you know, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. no, that right? makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and, and then that makes sense too. the piece that you're seeing a lot is just giving themselves permission to grieve. Yeah. yeah Cause it, it is, it is a skill, I think, to learn how to grieve and it's empowering. No one wants to, no one wants, and I don't wish that on anybody, but at some point we'll all have to sort of learn how to, so knowing how to, can be really helpful for the future as well. Yeah, Big that time. makes sense. Okay. Well, let's switch to a bit more positive. Okay. <laughs> Grief talks bumming me out. What encouraging words would you have for our listeners who might be thinking and realizing, oh, this is me or oh, this is someone that I know and care about? I don't know if you have any words of encouragement. Yeah, words of encouragement that pop up in the moment. You know, one of them I've kind of recently, you know, heard and and have really appreciated kind of this quote, just this idea that you are a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time. I like uh, that. It was something that was beautifully said. I absolutely loved it. And I still remind myself of that. I think in the midst of, of a lot of, whether it's, again, the kind of performance piece, the results, sometimes that work in progress thing can, can feel like you're failing, You know, can feel like you are not achieving what you're supposed to be doing. You know, and being able to remove, I think, some of that unhealthy expectation that's there and reminding yourself that, hey, like I am, I'm good. I'm good at what I do. You know, I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I'm working on it. Yeah. You know, I, I, for so long, it felt like that there was that, that, but, you know, in the, in the middle, that, that kind of big, but that was in the middle there of like, I can, I have to be a masterpiece, you know, and then maybe I'll try and be that, you know, work in progress, but the same, just how they exist together. Yeah. No. And you were saying that I was thinking of the replacing the, but with an, and like we talk about that in our field around a lot, right. Where it's like, you can have two things that are true. If you throw a butt in the middle, one of them is negated, Yeah. but really it's an, and it's, it's, you know, I may have failed today, like miserably, and I'm going to do better and I'm still learning, you know, or wow, I really killed it today and I'm still working on it. So it's, yeah. it's holding the, and intention which can be challenging, but I like, I like that viewpoint a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. It's one that I've enjoyed as well. It's a good one. It's a good, it's a good visual too. And the artists will always say the work is never done, you know, but then they also create a masterpiece. So it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So where could we learn more about you and your work? I know you have a private practice in San Diego. So tell us a little bit about if people want to, you know, reach out or find you or yeah. if you have resources in general for the things we spoke about today. Totally. I do have a, I have a private practice called John Steele Therapy down in San Diego. And I do have a website, johnsteeltherapy.com, 
I'm also on, I would say too, sometimes one of the popular ones as far as a therapist is Psychology Today. That one's out there. I'm out there. And then uh, I guess social media-ish, I'm on like a LinkedIn. And then I got a Facebook page. That's okay. actually just John Steele, comma, LMFT. Okay. Uh, and Steele, S-T-E-E-L-E. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. Sounds good. Good. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come and talk with us. I feel like this has been fun, but also very interesting and informative. And I, I'm pretty sure a lot of our audience fits in this category. So thank you for sharing your expertise with us. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I've definitely appreciated. Well, I want to thank our listeners too. Thank you for joining John and I today. We appreciate you being here with us. Just a reminder that the resources for this episode, as well as an archive of all of our other episodes can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. And we look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavioral Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.